Welcome to the Landmark Church Weekly Podcast. Amen. Would you stand up this morning? If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. This mic cuts out. I apologize. We're going to get some of the stuff looked at this week. John chapter 7. Then we're going to read Ephesians. I'll just read that to you. This morning I want to talk to you about something that I'm calling it the elephant in the room. Because today my my prayer is this. I I have prayed and prayed. I was in the office early this morning praying about this message. Because I want to present to you what I feel like hopefully is a very balanced understanding of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. We have, we have, listen, I'll say this again in a moment, but I love the fact that our church, we have people from all kinds of different backgrounds. Um, I grew up in a very culturally diverse area, Mississippi, and I miss part of that, to be honest. I love the culture diversity of where I grew up. It was just a lot of fun, different cultures and, and enjoying those and all of those things. And we don't have as much cultural diversity here, but we have what I call religious diversity. And what I mean by that is we have people from different backgrounds. They may come from a Methodist church or from a Baptist church or from um, different, different you know, Catholic churches, different things. Different, they were raised differently. And so we all come together, and we're going to talk about that in a few moments. But here's the thing. I want today to present to you what I believe, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And my prayer is you leave here with God flowing out of you like never before. Amen? John chapter 7 and verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his belly, out of his innermost being, is what that is saying, will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 Paul says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Father, today we recognize our need for you, Holy Spirit. Father, no message can go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit without you, without your anointing. So, Father, I just pray today that we hear what the Spirit is saying. Where the enemy wants to bring confusion and chaos, Lord, we command those things to go. Settle our hearts and minds right now to be open to what the Spirit wants to do and to hear what you're saying to us. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Tell somebody you're glad to see them this morning and you may be seated. I had somebody ask me one time, describe your church to me. And here's how I described our church. I said, they were asking about our worship style and those things. And I said this, for non-Pentecostals, we're too Pentecostal. And for Pentecostals, we're not Pentecostal enough. So the person said, you're kind of in the middle. I said, I guess so. He said, I think that's a great place to be. The the truth is this, today if you were raised Pentecostal, 
and raised in the kind of church that I was raised in, you're going to wonder, why are you delicately going around some of these things? Why are you presenting it like that? If you weren't raised like I was raised today, you may say, why are you even talking about it at all? Um, but the truth is that this is that, that we that I believe today this is some, many times a missing element in what it means to really overcome everything God wants us to overcome and have everything He wants us to have. And so today I want to present this to you in a way that if, if you've been raised Pentecostal, you may think I've heard that before. But if not, I want you to be open to some things. But let me just tell you this today: I have three rules when it comes to beliefs. The first is in essential things. I believe in unity. That I believe no matter what your background is, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, it doesn't matter. Whatever your background is, in essential things, we have a unity. By essential, I mean the things that are the, that the foundations of the Christian faith. We believe Jesus really lived. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He really died. He really suffered under Pontius Pilate. He died. He was crucified. He was raised again from the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in the, in the church, that God has called the church to be a light to, the, to our world. All these things are kind of essential things to the Christian faith, and so we have unity in that. But in non-essential things, and when I say non-essential, I don't mean they're not important. What I mean is they're not, to use a theological term, they're not salvific things. They're not things that are going to keep you from heaven, but they're things that are very important. But in those things, we may differ on some of those things. We may have differing views on some of those aspects. So on essential things, we have unity. On non-essential things, we have liberty. We give people the freedom to not have to be just like me, okay? I want you to know, part of our culture right now, it is this. If you're not like me, then I don't want anything to do with you. You go on down the road. And that is where the enemy has divided us so much. And the enemy wants to divide the church. I believe in essentials, the things we agree on, we need unity. The things we don't agree on, we have liberty. We give people the freedom to believe differently. But in all things, charity or in all things love, whether you agree with me or not, I'm going to love you because love is the greatest thing in the world. Amen? And so we're called to do that. So this morning, what do we believe about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Jesus stands at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they are literally taking a parade through Jerusalem, and they're taking buckets of water, pitchers of water, and they're taking and they're dumping them out, and they're chanting Psalms 113 through 118 as they're doing this. And Jesus waits until the last day, John tells us, the last great day of the feast. And he stands up there, and can you imagine? They're pouring out their water. They're doing these ceremonies ceremonial things. And here is Jesus. He's not afraid to mix it up a little bit. He's not afraid to make a scene a little bit. He stands up right there. And he's not saying what they're doing is bad, but he's saying they got this natural water. But you know what? If you'll believe in me, I've got something even greater. Out of your innermost beings will flow rivers of living waters. And the Bible says this, he spoke about the Holy Spirit because he had not yet been poured out because Jesus had not yet yet been glorified. Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit, says he is going to be poured out, and when he does, out of you shall flow rivers of living water. Amen? John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But there's one coming after me. Matter of fact, that guy, I'm not even worthy to handle his shoes. But he is going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. He is going to baptize you differently than I'm baptizing you. And then Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I stay here, I'm just one man in one place right now. But when I go away, the helper's going to come. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the 
helper and he will indwell each of you. And when he does, he's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. It is to your advantage that I am glorified because the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out in that moment. Amen? So here's what we believe by the Holy Spirit. We believe that at salvation you receive the Holy Spirit. It may be different than some groups with that, but we believe that at salvation the Holy Spirit is a person and you receive him at salvation. You can't invite my big toe to supper. Okay? You get all of me. You understand? So when you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. But we believe in a subsequent thing. And um, the old-time Pentecostals and in, in, in the group we're part of, Pentecostal Holiness, you had salvation, then you had sanctification, and then you had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that, that is what our denomination has taught for a long time, salvation, sanctification. And so we believe in being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We believe in, 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 a, in another baptism. Matter of fact, we believe in three baptisms. And if you, if you ever want a teaching on this that is even uh, way better than mine, it's Pastor Robert Morris. has an amazing teaching on three baptisms. The first baptism is being saved, baptized into Christ. Ephesians says when you are saved, you are baptized into the body of Christ. So we believe that that happens. The second baptism is what's going to happen in a few moments out here. Water baptism, that you are baptized in water. And we believe that is a sign of what God has already done in you. But the third baptism is being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We believe that is a subsequent thing. When you look at Ephesians and Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, they go to Ephesus and they said, what have you been baptized? And they said, we've already repented. We've been baptized in John the Baptist baptism. And they said, what about the Holy Spirit? And they said, we didn't even know the Holy Spirit existed. We've already repented. We've already had this. And they said, well, now the Holy Spirit can baptize you. And the Bible says they were baptized in that moment in the Holy Spirit. So we believe God baptizes us. And as he does, the Holy Spirit, the life of God flows out of us and flows into other people's lives as well. Amen. So what does this look like in our life? We believe in, in, in evidence, and, and, and here's the thing about that. Let me just say this first. One of the things I believe the enemy has done to keep the fullness of the Holy Spirit in people's lives is he has tried to bring confusion and chaos. I'm going to say this to you today because I can critique Pentecostals because I are one. I'm not critiquing any other group. I'm critiquing us because this is who I am. We have produced some weird, flaky Pentecostals. That have scared everybody off. It's the truth. There are some weirdos that make nobody that make people want to run. And here's the truth. The truth is spirit-filled. Don't even use the word Pentecostal. Use the word spirit-filled for a moment. Spirit-filled believers is the fastest growing, the largest growing sect of Christianity in the entire world, especially in Latin America. Because they realize I need the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not about labels. That's the problem. We label things. And whenever you say the day of Pentecost or Pentecostal, everybody gets scared. They begin to run because that's those weird folks. That's those crazy folks. That's those people that everybody's scared of. And the truth is this. The enemy, I believe, has used that because he has kept people away from the fullness of the Holy Spirit that God intended for each and every one of us. I don't care what you label yourself understand I, I, I just want you to be labeled as being full of the Holy Spirit today amen so we believe something happens the Bible says there, in the book of Acts there was four times people were filled with the Holy Spirit the first one was in um, Acts chapter 2 in Acts chapter 2 we understand they, they, they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance actually there's five Acts 8 Peter and John um, 
pray for this in Samaria for them to receive the Holy Spirit, and nothing outwardly happens. But, or, or it's not mentioned that it happened. But Simon the sorcerer is there, and he looks at them, and whatever happened to them, he wants it. So something outwardly happened. We're just not told what. And in that moment, they tell Simon the sorcerer because he tries to buy it from them. I saw what happened to those people. Can I buy that? And they, Peter and John look at him and said, may your money perish with you. Get out of here. And so, we don't, it, once again, nothing is mentioned but something he saw. In Acts chapter 9, Ananias prays for Saul and to be filled with the Spirit. It doesn't say that Paul spoke in tongues, but later on Paul would tell us, I speak in tongues more than you all. So we know that happened to Paul. In Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house, the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says they speak in tongues. And then in Ephesus, I talked about just a moment ago, the Bible says they ask him, have you received the Holy Spirit? They said, we didn't even know the Holy Spirit existed. They prayed for them, and in that moment they received they, they receive the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in tongues. Now, here's the one the thing. We begin to, a lot of times people focus on this one sign, and we focus on, have you done this, or has this happened to you? And we don't focus on the entire Spirit-filled life. My problem with that is that we, I, I told you last week, I knew people that could speak in tongues that were mean as the devil. They were snakes. They were people I, I wouldn't even trust to be around them very long, but they could, they could do all the spiritual things. And what I want to tell you is this today. You know what the greatest sign to me is not that you can shout and dance and do all this stuff with your tongue. You know what the greatest sign to me is? Do you live a spirit-filled life full of the Holy Spirit out there? Do you have the, the, the fruit of the Spirit working in your life? Do you love people? Do you care about people? Do you have the Holy Spirit at work? Because I believe we're not called to be weird and strange. I believe we are called to be naturally supernatural. I should be able to go to Walmart and pray for somebody and I ain't got to knock three aisles over to pray for them. You understand that? I ain't got to slap the mayonnaise upside their head to pray for them. I can pray for them in Walmart and they can be healed and set free. I can pray for somebody at the gas station and God can deliver them right now of whatever problem they're having and I don't have to fall backwards and hit my head at the gas pump. You understand that? We don't always have to be weird. I want to be naturally supernatural. I want to walk in this every single day so that everywhere I go, I'm listening to the voice of God. And when God says, hey, listen, you see that scripture you read? That would help so-and-so. Would you mind sharing it with them? I don't have to. I just go up and say, I read this scripture, thought of you. I wanted to be able to help you out and give this to you today. And in that moment, they begin to weep because all of a sudden, God is speaking through them to tell you a message that you need to hear. And you don't have to be weird about it in that moment. God has used you to speak to them you are being naturally supernatural and that's what we're called to do amen so three things three types of, of, of tongues speaking in tongues I want to talk about this morning number one is speaking in tongues the, the first two are public why do these things happen publicly the first one is a sign to unbelievers first Corinthians chapter 14 verse 22 says therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers he goes on to say prophesying is for um, believers, but that first part, tongues are a sign not for those who believe, but to unbelievers. I told you a few weeks ago about a story about a man who was praying in the Spirit, and these people from Iraq heard it in their language. Uh, John Bevere, who I respect very much, he's um, very well-rounded and very thoughtful Great speaker and communicator. He wrote a book on the Holy Spirit, and I've been studying it for this. And I encourage you to get it. It has the devotions with it. John Bevere tells a story in there that he was speaking at a church like this one day, and somebody sat in the back that was one of his workers, one of his uh, employees and staff members, and they just felt like they should pray in the Spirit kind of quietly in the back for him while he's speaking. 
Now, there was somebody sitting close to them. They didn't know they could hear what they were saying because they were just really doing this between them and the Lord. But in that moment, a person close to them heard them. Afterwards, the man came up to this young lady and said, I am a French teacher, and I have never heard anybody speak such perfect French that you spoke today. And, and, she sa- and he said, every time you would, you would say a scripture in French, he would say it from the pulpit. He goes, I was amazed at how God was working today and what God was doing. And she looked at him and she said, sir, I don't know one ounce of French. I don't know one word of French. But in that moment, God used him, God used her to speak a language she did not know to be able to minister to this man. Mark, Dr. Mark Rutland, who is president of ORU, he told uh, several stories. I remember being 11 years old at a general conference, and I, I went into the service with my parents, and um, he told a story about him going to Mexico, and the translator did not show up. and He didn't know much Spanish. Knew a little bit from high school, but not much. And he shows up, and he's supposed to preach, and there's no translator. So he, he was about to quit. But the Lord said, no, somebody needs to hear that message tonight. you got to speak. And he began to speak fluently in Spanish. He had never spoke Spanish like that before. He spoke fluently so much, he still does to this day. He spoke at a conference, and one of my close friends, Misael, who's from Peru, went up to him, spoke Spanish to him, and Mark Rutland, back in Spanish, said, are you trying to test out my Spanish? Is that why you're talking to me? And Misael was. That man spoke that night in Spanish, a language he did not know that fluently, and when he got done, a man they had been praying for walks out the aisle, comes to the front, and gives his heart to the Lord, and that night he heard the gospel in his own language. One more story with Mark Rutland. Mark Rutland tells a story about being in Africa, and he's, there's a crusade. And anytime you go to African countries, many times you will have like five translators because they come from different places. So there's different, different dialects. So it can take forever to try to preach a message. And so he, there's like five different languages on the stage, and he's preaching. He said, I only preached like 20 minutes of, of just of what I did because it had to be translated so many times. And all of a sudden a man comes in, and he's speaking a dialect, and nobody on the stage is speaking what he's speaking. And none of them understand what he's saying. And they're all trying to figure out what is this man saying. Nobody on the stage. you got four different dialects plus Mark Rutland. None of them can understand what he's saying. And all of a sudden, somebody in the audience says, I recognize that dialect. It's from one of the northern tribes, and it's very few people speak it, but I know it. I, I was raised around there, and I know it. He gets up, and he begins to translate, and, and he asks the man, what are you doing here? And the man said, when I was a kid in my tribe, a missionary from Britain came to our, our tribe, and he told us about a man named Jesus and he wanted to tell us and literally the tribes people would beat him up and send him away he came again and he tried to tell us about Jesus they beat him up sent him away he tried a third time finally he never came back because they threatened to kill him if you ever come back we will kill you and they tried over and over but he would talk about Jesus and he said all these years I've wondered who is this Jesus that this man was willing to give his life for. This man was willing to give his life for Jesus, and nobody's been able to tell me who Jesus is. And I was walking outside tonight, and I heard the man from the stage speak and say, if you'll walk in those doors, that man on the stage will tell you about that Jesus that you have been asking about. And Mark Rutland said nobody knew his language there, but a person in the audience who did not say a word, but God used him speaking to be able to hear a message out there that he had never to say, if you'll come in, in here, you will learn about Jesus. We believe that God, it's happened over and time and time again, especially I believe it still happens, but especially in the early movement of Pentecostal, in the early 1900s, people would get on a, a, get on a 
a boat, and they would go to China. Never spoke Chinese, but God would give them fluently the language so they could preach the gospel. We believe tongues are a sign to unbelievers. Secondly, it's a message for a church. So if you're in a church service like this, maybe you've been a part of a service where the Spirit of God begins to move, and somebody out loud begins to speak in tongues. It is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, the gift of tongues and interpretation. It is God speaking publicly a message to the church. So somebody gets up and they, and they have the tongue. Somebody has the interpretation. Now, if you've ever been in a service, have you ever been in a service, and if, you've ever had, if you grew up Pentecostal and you've had this happen, where somebody gives maybe a really long message in tongues, or a short one, and then a really long um, translation, or a really short one, or interpretation of that. And I've always wondered, like, what's going on? Why is one really long, one short? But the truth is this. Notice, it is not a translation. It is an interpretation. I believe that our brains... One of these days when we get to heaven, this won't matter. But our brains, our finite minds, cannot handle the tongues of angels and the, and, and the Lord. So I believe it is not a straight interpretation. It is a, I mean, it is not a straight translation. It is an interpretation. I am interpreting the, what the Spirit is saying to us. And so that's why sometimes it may seem different. But I am I'm interpreting that. And in that moment, I believe if somebody gets up and, it, and it's meant for the entire church and it shuts down the service and it's the kind of thing where attention's drawn, I do believe there needs to be an interpretation. Because if not, it can bring chaos and confusion and God is not the the author of confusion. In that moment, I do believe interpretation. But the third reason for tongues is something that people get confused. I've heard people say, well, pastor, I'll be okay with tongues. I'm fine with that. But there's got to be an interpretation every single time. And that is not true. Because the third thing, the first two are public, but the third is a private prayer language. And that is between me and the Lord. That is me speaking to God. And that is not meant to bring confusion to a church. It's not meant to bring chaos. It's meant for me to be able to speak to God. And you may say this, well, you know what? I didn't understand what you're saying. I got good news for you. I wasn't talking to you. I've been eating at a table before, a long table, and somebody said, well, they were praying down there, but I didn't hear them. And I'd say, it's okay. They weren't talking to you anyway. It's fine. And the truth is, we believe in a private prayer language where you talk to God. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. Why is it important? Because listen to me, it is important to understand this. There are times in our lives when we don't know what to pray. We don't know exactly how to pray for something. And in that moment, we need, listen, you can pray with understanding, that's great. But there are times I don't have the understanding for the situation. I don't know what to pray. Or here's the problem, I'm going to pray my will over things. Here's, I told the first service, I hope my wife doesn't mind me saying the story, but I'll, it's one of those things I'll ask for repentance rather than, per, rather than permission. But I think everybody knows that we're, we're obviously having a child and we want a girl. That's what my wife wants especially. I tell people, I don't beg God for much, but I'm 40, I'll be 41 when this baby's born. I can't do this too many more times. You understand that? And I'm an only child. I'm not used to... I, Chasing one little toddler around is enough, but you give me three, I, y'all won't ever see me again. Don't invite me to nothing until they get about 15 years old. Then I'll, I'll show back up. I'll just be preaching and going home. That's going to be it. We want a girl. I, I, don't, I don't beg God for much, but I've been begging. My wife doesn't know it, but I lay in bed at night when she goes to sleep and just put my hand over there and, and pray for that to happen. Now, there's what, a 50-50 chance, right? 
we kind of know the odds. But the truth is this, that's what we want, and I pray it happens. But what God wants is more important than even what we want. And if I'm going to pray, I know what I'm going to pray, because I'm going to pray for Justin's will to be done. And in and, and most of our life, if we're honest, we're going to pray for our will. And we just pray that God has the same idea we have. Like, God, we want this to happen. We pray your will is the same as mine. But the truth is this. When you pray in the Spirit, you are praying the will of God, the perfect will of God, because the Holy Spirit has searched the mind of God, and he knows the perfect will of God. So I pray in the Spirit, and then because of that, here's what begins to happen in my life. Jude 1.20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. When I'm praying in the Holy Spirit, I'm building my faith up. Because I'm praying not my will, but his will. I am praying in the Holy Spirit. And my faith is being built for things that I've never seen. Things I wouldn't even think about. Oral Roberts said this. He said, there was never a time, or he said, every single time that God did something significant in my life, asked me to do it, it came to me during times I was praying in the Spirit. He said, I was praying in the Spirit, and God spoke to me and said, go get a tent and go believe for the healing of the nations. And I set up a tent. I was praying in the Spirit, and God said, go start a unit. University, because in one year in 2021, they're going to need a, a Sweet 16 team to pull for in basketball. I'm just kidding. That's, God didn't tell him that part. But God said, go build a university. And then, and then praying in the Spirit, God said, I want you to go be on television and, and, and go to the nations and tell them about miracles and signs and wonders. Every single time that God spoke, he was praying in the Spirit. In those moments, God builds our faith up. But here's the thing, it's not just for us. God also builds our faith for other people. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered or which cannot be understood. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So once again there are times that I've had situations somebody calls me and says pastor you need to get to my house. Something bad has happened. I don't know what to pray in that moment but I begin to pray in the Holy Spirit because God is interceding through me for somebody else and I am praying God is interceding through me even for myself when I don't know what to pray I allow the spirit to pray through me because as I do God is interceding and the spirit of God who knows what needs to be said in that moment my English is limited but guess what the Holy Spirit is not limited in those moments amen, amen. so this morning here's the thing why? Why does it matter? Because here's the thing in your life. I believe that many times we don't have the overcoming, victorious life that we're called to live. We don't see God do some things simply because we never give ourselves over to the Spirit. We never allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us. And once again, it's not just about an experience, whether I, I speak in tongues and do all these things. It is about allowing the Spirit of God to work in you and through you. It is about surrendering every part of yourself to him so the Holy Spirit of God can flow through your life. He can give you the victory to overcome sin. He can give you the power that you need. If the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me, it will therefore quicken my mortal body. So I believe that God can flow through us and the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead is the spirit that lives on the inside of us. Amen. Listen, to the early church, the most important thing, number one, was the, the death 
and the resurrection of Jesus. Peter stands on the day of Pentecost and he preaches and he says, you crucified him. Speaking to all those people that were there in the, in the, in the city 40 day, or 50 days before that, you crucified the Lord of glory. But guess what? God raised him from the dead. But you know what the next most important message was? Now the power of the Holy Spirit can give you the strength to live the life you're called to live. Here is Peter who's denied him. Here's Peter who's given up on him. And Jesus restores him. And Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people are saved. And then next you know, Peter and John are walking to the place to pray. Notice it's a normal day. It's a mundane day. It's just the normal things. They go pray every day. So they're walking to the temple to pray. As they do, they see a man there who is sitting there. And he's saying, could you give me some money? They said, Peter said, I don't have any money, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible says the man didn't just stand up like a brand new pony, barely getting around. He leapt up to his feet and he began to jump and he began to praise God. Here were two men who days earlier weren't doing this, but now they're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're being naturally supernatural. They're going to the temple like they naturally would do but they stopped and they allowed the Holy Spirit to pour through them and all of a sudden now they are a conduit to see a miracle take place in somebody's life. Friend, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you say, I needed to go to heaven? You needed, as I told you a few weeks ago, you needed to go to Walmart. You understand that, right? You need the power of the Holy Spirit every moment of your life to give you the strength to overcome and to make a difference. So how do we receive two things Number one, realize it is a promise of the Father. Acts chapter 1 verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Will the worship team join me? Number one, it's a promise of the Father. One of the attributes of God is this. He is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, it's going to come to pass. That God is the God of his word. Amen? So if God makes a promise, listen, I love you guys. I love you guys. But how many of you know that you can, you can promise me something and you can go back on it? You can promise me something and it don't happen. But if God promises it, you can take it. You can take it to the bank. I promise you, if God promises, it's going to happen. And the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. And then secondly, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter says, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do you receive it? Like you receive any other gift. You receive it. You say, Lord, I want that, and I'll take it. You allow him, listen, we have made this so hard and so weird and so strange. If you'll say these little syllables, you'll get the Holy Spirit. That's, that's so weird. If you will simply surrender your life to the Lord and let him flow out of you, you'll be amazed at what God could do. Here's my, here's my final thing for you. If today you were to say, Pastor, if you were to take me to lunch and sit across the table from me and say, Pastor, what can I do in my life to overcome the issues I'm dealing with? How can I be the best husband, the best wife? How can I be 
the best business person, that I can make decisions, that I can overcome these issues. I just, I just feel like I, I, I get to a certain point and I have problems. How can I overcome some of these things? What would you recommend? And you know what I would tell you today? I would recommend that you allow the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through your life. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. Stop trying to do it in yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to flow because God wants to give you the gift. Jesus said this. He said, if, if your kid comes and asks you for a bread, are you going to give them a stone? If they ask for an egg, are you going to give them a snake? And he said this, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does the Heavenly Father want to give you the Holy Spirit? He wants to pour out His Spirit on you. He wants to fill you to overflowing. He wants you to give the Spirit real life where what comes out of you is not dirty thoughts and dirty words. What comes out of you is not negative thinking all the time and problems. What comes out of you is not issues and trauma, but what comes out of you is the fruit of the Spirit is the words of God. It is the mind of God. What comes out of you, what flows out of you is not you, but it's the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. That's what He wants to give you today. But you've got to let Him do it. you got to stop trying it in your own strength, in your own power. And you got to say, Holy Ghost, give it to me. Fill me to overflowing. If you want it this morning, make your way down to the front. We're going to sing this song. And I'm going to pray for you. If you say, I want to be filled like never before, just come on down to the front. And I'm just going to pray over you in a few moments. This podcast is now over. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future messages.